Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church Online. I am excited that we are starting a brand new study through the Gospel of Mark today. But before we do, I want to invite you to participate along with the church in our activities focusing around Lent this year in the run-up to Easter. Lent will begin February 17th, and we have a few things planned for this year. The main focus will be around six times fasting for 24-hour periods. We will be doing this from Wednesdays at 6 p.m. to Thursdays at 6 p.m. On Wednesdays, you will receive resources, information, and prayer points and directions for how to pray during that 24-hour period of time, as well as that week of Lent. Every Thursday night at the end of our fast, we will be gathering together in person for prayer. You can pre-register for those prayer nights at pag.life. I'm excited for and hope you will join us as we seek God for great things in 2021 and to center our souls back on him and his calling for us as a church. As we jump into Mark, I want to remind us that we believe that the Bible is a unified story, both human and divine, that leads to Jesus. The study of the Bible invites us into the story so that we can be shaped by, challenged by, and grow through the story of Scripture. Of the 66 books, there are four that directly tell the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They're narrative stories, and they're actually their own subcategory of Scripture called Gospels. And as there are four stories about Jesus' life, oftentimes it can be confusing. Why are there four of them? How come sometimes they don't line up or stories are told differently? And I want to give you an analogy that's been helpful for me. My wife and I have been together for 16 years. We dated for 12 years. We've been married for four. Our first date was in 2004, and we were 18 years old. If you ask my wife, Caitlin, to tell you the story of our first date, it will sound different than if you ask me to tell the story of our first date. Now, most of the big details will be the same, but some of the intimate parts of what it meant to us will emphasize differently because of how it impacted us. The Gospels are written in the same way. Each author emphasizes different aspects of Jesus' character, his mission, and his activities through their own lens. And as we see all four of them together, it gives us a richer, fuller picture of Jesus. In the same way, if you heard the story from my perspective and from my wife's, it would give you a better understanding of our relationship and our first date. Now, to push this analogy even a little bit further, when you ask us to tell the story of our first date now, 16 years later, we tell the story differently than we maybe would have the week after that first date. Because we tell the story in light of the significant details of the last 16 years. And now as we look back, we can see the important moments of that date that led us into our marriage today. We have the perspective of history as we now tell that story. And this is what the gospel writers do. Each of them tells the story of Jesus' life through the perspective of what they know of his resurrection and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts and the birth of the church. And so as they tell the story of Jesus, they are telling a particular story to communicate to us about who Jesus was, who he is, and what his life, death, and resurrection has done for all eternity. Now we're going to spend 
some time in the Gospel of Mark specifically. And we will spend three weeks with an introduction getting to know Jesus as Mark teaches us, and then five weeks walking towards his eventual death and resurrection. And today we're going to introduce some themes in Mark and begin to see the picture of Jesus as revealed in this gospel story. Before I introduce any more of it or give you any more context, I want us to read the story together. And I want you to get a fresh vision and a fresh uh, experience of the gospel of Mark. Now, I'm not going to be reading you the entire 16 chapters, but we'll begin with eight verses. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the roads for him. The messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. And John announced, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. As I said, each gospel writer has a different focus on Jesus. And for Mark, his focus is on King Jesus, Jesus who came to rule and reign over this world, heaven and earth, who came to conquer all spiritual forces by his power, and who comes to lay out for us what the kingdom of God is truly like. Mark was most likely an oral story, told for about five centuries after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And imagine, if you will, the entire 16 chapters told over a period of about an hour as each person tells a story to another and they tell that story to another and each person is emphasizing different aspects of the story that truly spoke to them and called out to them about who Jesus was and is and you're telling the story in hushed, impassioned tones. Imagine hearing it over dinners together at night studying scripture and hearing the story of Jesus' life. And you're in the marketplace and you're walking and you overhear someone else telling the story to another person in hushed tones, but excited. It's likely even that early Christians would gather together and act out the story of Mark as a play. And people would play the different roles of it and it would be impassioned and exciting and fun and powerful. And you see the story spreading throughout Jerusalem, throughout Israel, throughout the kingdom of Rome, one person to one person, one crowd to one crowd, an oral story shared about an experience of a man who came, who was God, king of the world, who died for the sins of the world and rose again. Now contrast that to the way that we often experience scripture today, to the way we experience the gospels today. Someone like me says, now open your Bibles and turn to page 
or we go, well, what section on the app was I at in Mark? Or playing a few verses out loud as we're getting ready in the morning or driving into work, sitting down and reading one chapter and saying, that's, that's good, I, that's enough for today. We do not engage the gospel narratives with the passion, with the energy, with the personality that they were written in. As we read the gospel story of Mark, I encourage you and challenge you to invite the personality of the story to engage with you. And I want to challenge you with two questions as we begin this study. The first one is, think about how you engage with the story of Jesus. Think about how your mind is, how your heart is, your emotions and your perceptions as you study the story of Jesus. Have you read it so many times and in so many classes that the story just is wrote to you? I just got to get through it. Is it new to you and you're reading the scripture for the first time and it's impassioned and it's exciting? Or maybe you're reading it and you're just delving deeper in and understanding deeper truths about Jesus. And then secondly, understand and think through how you are sharing the story of Jesus with others. What does that story look like? Is it an impassioned story where you're telling your understanding and your perspective of what was important in the life of Jesus for you to others? Are you sharing how the story has impacted you and affected you? Or is it stressful to get it right and all the details and am I qualified or will they challenge? Let's break down these first eight verses. And what we're going to do today is we'll study these first eight verses. We'll look at it in three sections. And then together, we're going to pray through a meditative exercise on the next seven verses. And we're going to invite God to engage with us the story of Jesus as told by the gospel author Mark. Let's begin chapter 1, verse 1. The good news, a new king. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Some believe that this first chapter is actually the title of the book and that this is what he wants you to understand about the entire story. Jesus Christ the Messiah, the Son of God, come into this world as the prophet Isaiah had written. Jesus is good news. He's a savior. He's God in the flesh. He's the king of all people. And at the time of Mark's writing, probably around 50 AD, they would understand this through the obvious connection of their lives in Rome. And when he talks about a new king, they would think about the king of Rome. They would think about Caesar. And what Mark challenges throughout this book is there is a new kingdom coming. And this kingdom is different. And it doesn't rule with aggression and oppression and fear. It rules with love and self-sacrificing and humility. It's a counter-narrative to every kingdom who has ever ruled this world by might and force. It's a new social order under a new king in Jesus. It's about the care of the vulnerable. It's about mutual service to one another. It's about self-giving love. It's about commitment to all of the above to the point of one's own torture and death as we see in the life of Jesus. Now Mark begins with the good news. Or we often translate this to the gospel and it's almost entirely lost its meaning at this point of what the gospel means. The gospel comes from good news, comes from a Greek word, euangelion, or the gospel. The gospel of Mark is an announcement of good 
news. And Mark begins by saying, what you're going to read in these next 16 chapters or the story I'm about to tell you is good news. It's an announcement that things are changing, that God has come. And it's referring back to the history of Israelite kings. The good news in the Old Testament was in relation to their kings. Good news either meant the kingdom that you're living under gets to remain the kingdom or it gets to mean there's a new, better kingdom now coming in. You can think about it as King David ruling and there's a battle happening and a messenger comes running to tell the king how the battle went. And he says, it's good news. We won and you get to remain as king and the kingdom will stand. Or it can mean after David, his son Solomon took over, another good king in the beginning of his life at least. And in that, they would tell the people there is good news. Solomon is being crowned as king and a new kingdom of prosperity under Solomon is beginning. And for the Israelites understanding and now experiencing Jesus, they have lived now under several hundred years of bad kings not good news. One bad king after another, one fallen leadership after another, one compromised kingdom after another. And what Mark is saying is there is good news again. There is a good kingdom coming under a good king in Jesus. In Isaiah, he says, after this run of bad kings, there is now a longing for good news in God to come himself and be our king. Isaiah chapter 9 is a famous Christmas passage about God coming himself and becoming the king of Israel. Isaiah chapter 9, For a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. What Isaiah predicts and what Mark is now saying is happening is what God had wanted to happen in Exodus for God himself to be our king, for God himself to lead us out of his grace, mercy, and power. And Mark is writing an announcement that God has come to be our very good king. And here's the truth and what we'll see in these 16 chapters. When a new king takes over, it means a new kingdom is beginning. And when a new kingdom begins, it means there is now a different expectation on the people of this kingdom. Jesus shows us in Mark that there's a new way of life happening under Jesus. And this life is defined by self-sacrificial love. Mark reveals Jesus and then he quickly frames the entire story around his impending death on the cross. And then he ends with the shortest, most mysterious version of the resurrection. And he says to us, Jesus' resurrection declares that love is stronger than death. And that a king who lays down his life for his people is stronger than a kingdom that rules through power. The good news that Jesus brings is that the last are now first. The hungry are fed. The homeless are welcome. And because love is now present, Jesus Christ rules over us with loving mercy. Now let's continue on. Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, we see a new, old, final kingdom. Mark lays out for us that this kingdom and this new king is not its own separate thing, but is the culmination of the old way and is the final way for all eternity. 
He does this by quoting from the Old Testament, Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the roads for him. By using three different prophetic voices, Mark is laying out for us what the kingdom of Jesus reveals. It's a new kingdom under Jesus, but it is the fulfillment of the old kingdom, and it is the final kingdom we will live under for all eternity. This is why as we read the Bible, and as we read each of these 66 books collected together as a unified story, we need to see them as a unified story. Mark is telling us from the very beginning of this gospel story that this is not a brand new thing disconnected. This is a new thing fulfilling a story of an ancient kingdom. He actually does it by combining three prophets together into one quotation he has here. Malachi 3.1, look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Exodus 23.20, see, I am sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I have prepared for you. And Isaiah 40 verse 3, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord, make a straight highway through the wastelands for our God. What he is doing is connecting Jesus and his lordship to the entirety of the story of scripture. Jesus is something new, but he's not replacing what was. He is fulfilling it. Jesus doesn't replace the monarchy of Israel. He is the final and permanent king of this nation. Jesus isn't a new God. He is the revelation of the God we experience in Genesis chapter 1 through 3, put on flesh. Jesus doesn't erase the nation of Israel. He opens it to the entire world. And Jesus doesn't end the sacrificial system for sin. He culminates in being the final offering to cleanse our sin for all time. As we read about Jesus, he is the opening of the Old Testament to be able to be accessed by all of us. Now, the third portion of these verses will read, is about preparing our heart to submit to King Jesus. What does it look like that now we must prepare our hearts? What is John warning us about? Why do we need to be baptized and confess our sins and repent and turn away? How do we understand this? Mark introduces John, a interesting figure to say the least. And many traditions and even Acts, Acts chapter 1 verses 22, and when Peter tells the story of Jesus in Acts 10, they begin not with his nativity birth story, but with his baptism. And that the story of Jesus begins at his encounter with John. There are three main characteristics of John the Baptist. He's an ascetic, which means he lives with very little and he has camel hair clothes that he wears and he practices self-discipline. He's a baptizer in that he dunks people in water to cleanse them of their sin. And he's an apocalyptic preacher. He preaches about the future and the coming judgment of God. And in all of that, he has a message of repentance. Repentance means to change one's mind. That's the literal translation, to change one's mind. To just change how you think. Think about it a different way. But the New Testament expands this word repentance to mean not just changing our mind, but to turn physically, emotionally, mentally, to turn from one way of being to now be something else. And as John 
dunks people in the water, he gives them an opportunity to rise up out of that water as a new person, to turn from how they were, to turn to who they will be. And he says, I'm just doing this with water. And this is symbolic what I'm doing of giving you a chance to change your life and to turn your ways. But King Jesus is coming and he will be able to baptize your heart. He will be able to baptize your soul with fire and turn you from a sinner condemned to death to a righteous member of the kingdom of God. And as John lays out, we see that God's direct response to true repentance is forgiveness. It's the same message in the Old Testament book of Jonah. When we truly repent and turn from our wicked ways, God responds with forgiveness. It's the same message as Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. When we repent of our wicked ways, God hears us and moves in forgiveness. It's the same message that God gives to Cain. If you would turn from sin crouching at the door, I will forgive you and lead you forward. Although great numbers came seeking baptism, John baptized no one who didn't confess and repent of their sins. Why does Mark begin the story of Jesus with a figure like John who demands confession and repentance and makes straight the paths for this new king? Because he tells the story of King Jesus who doesn't just demand our allegiance but deserves it. And over the next 15 chapters, Mark will do his work to convince us why Jesus deserves our total and utter allegiance with our lives. Why we can trust him with the eternity of our souls and the destiny and decisions of our lives. We see Jesus in the story of Mark battle demonic forces and Satan himself. We see Jesus care for the sick and the vulnerable. We see him heal the blind and confront the oppressors and the power groups of his day. We see him do it all out of self-sacrificing love. We see him do it as one who is gentle and lowly. We see him do it as one who is both wise and merciful. Mark is known as a book with a confrontational, mysterious Jesus. But what is at the heart of this action-oriented story is a king who leads not out of oppression, but out of love. And who calls us to ally our lives with his kingdom of love. And what Mark asks of us is whether we can submit our lives to the King Jesus and his kingdom. Mark Sayers famously coins a term that we live in an era where people want the kingdom without the king. We want the kingdom that Jesus describes, care for widows and orphans and the oppressed and the hungry being fed, but we don't want a king in Jesus who's going to tell me what to do, like Ryan Howard from The Office. I want a leader who can lead me when I want to be led and not to always force me to do things. We don't want a King Jesus that demands total and complete allegiance, but he deserves our total and complete allegiance. Many of us actually grow up and we have a King Jesus and we don't want the kingdom. We want the power and the authority, but we don't want to change our lives and we don't want the kingdom that Jesus describes. What Mark says is we take both together. We take King Jesus and all that comes with to live in the kingdom that he provides. The gospel story is that Jesus is king and that we need to prepare our hearts through confession and repentance to learn his pattern of living in his kingdom. 
And I want to say this. Jesus didn't come to die in our place. Jesus didn't come to give us power over this earth. Jesus didn't come to set captives free. Jesus came to take up what is rightfully his, the authority of the kingdom as our king. And all of those go with it. He died in our place for sure. He gives us power over this world, absolutely. He fights for the oppressed completely, but he does all of it out of the authority of his rightful place as king of heaven and earth. Now, the early Christian hearers hear this story of King Jesus coming to free the oppressed, and they're excited about it. They live under Rome, and they live with a fallen history of their own evil kings, and they hear about good King Jesus, and they see the things he does as a good and merciful man, and he claims to be God and has the power of God with him, and they hear about his death and resurrection and what that brings, and they are excited. For us, 2,000 years later... The reality of what we're being freed from is harder to understand. We don't have a Rome kingdom ruling over us with Caesar and his mighty right hand. Our kingdoms are more subtle. It's our allegiance to lust and the own desires of our bodies. It's our desire for attention from others and approval by them. It's our own greed and a desire for power and influence. And what Jesus asks us to do as he comes into his kingdom with authority, is to lay down the kingdoms of our own hearts and to say to Jesus, there is nothing in my life that is off limits to you. There is nothing in my life that you don't have complete authority over. And Jesus says, you ask me to repent of my own selfishness, as you ask me to repent of my own greed, repent of my own evils, I gladly lay my life down for you. We need to lay our own kingdoms down at the feet of King Jesus. As we study Mark, we will see the character of who this king is and who Jesus was and is still today. And I want to close today a little different than usual. I want us to practice a meditative prayer exercise and invite Jesus, who is still alive and present today, to speak to us about his authority. Not Jesus as friend, not Jesus as savior, but Jesus as king with authority to speak over my life. And as I read the next seven verses of Mark chapter one, I invite you wherever you are, just to prayerfully, as you listen to this, as you watch this, invite King Jesus to speak into your life. What does he have planned for you? What does your life and his kingdom look like today? Mark chapter one, beginning in verse nine, Meditate and pray with me. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and the angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. 
the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The Gospel of Mark is a story of the good news of King Jesus, come to rule over this world as a good and loving king. Will you give him that authority in your life personally? Some of you may be watching this and you're not a follower of Jesus and you may be new to all of this, the study of scripture and the knowledge of Jesus. And I wanna give you an opportunity today as you watch this to make a decision and to take one step forward into his kingdom, one step forward under Jesus' good and loving authority. If you'll pray this prayer with me, you can begin this journey today in this moment. Jesus, our savior, our friend, our God, and our King. We come to you in this moment. We recognize that you are God. Come to this earth to live as a man, to teach us, to heal us, to guide us about your kingdom, to die on a cross for our sins and for your enthronement as King forever. You rose from the dead on the third day and you were seated at the right hand of the Father and under your Lordship comes our freedom from sin and our life eternal. Jesus, you gave your life for us. Today we commit our life to follow you in your kingdom under your Lordship. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. If that was your first time praying that with us today, I just invite you to click the link here. Let us know. We would love to celebrate with you and resource you as you continue to follow Jesus as Lord of your life. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Pennington AG Church.